Welcome to Every Step Podcast. I'm Christina Weston. And I'm Judith Beck. Every Step is the podcast where career and life meet. With a new guest every episode, we explore the gutsy issues affecting everyone in the workplace. Today, we welcome Dr. Susie Skinner and Dr. Paul Lawrence, who are the co-authors of The Wise Leader, which is out August 4th. So our discussion today is going to discuss what is a wise leader? Do you need to be in a position of seniority to be considered a wise leader? And when do you start? I mean, I know in my career, there were many times when I thought I was a wise leader. And then I thought, you know, what were the skills necessary to continue down that path? But then something would happen and I would go, what the heck happened? I'm not so wise after all. So um, our perceptions might not be our reality. So Susie and Paul, what makes a, a wise leader? Well, that, that's the big question, isn't it? Um, and that's the question that we spent about two years exploring, looking at all of the wisdom literature and, and a whole lot of uh, the literature around leadership and psychology. And what we came up with was a perspective on wisdom. Uh, we distilled down all of the uh, readings, all of the things that we read, all of the things we listened to into five mantras. And so we're defining wise leadership in terms of those five mantras. It's a perspective. What we're not trying to do is convince the whole world that that's the definition of wisdom. Our objective was to come up with a with a definition of wisdom that lent itself to practical application in the leadership space. So we can talk about those five mantras, but if I just go off on a big uh, monologue now about the five mantras, I'll still be talking in about 15 minutes probably. <laughs> so uh, let, let's uh, see where we go. So, so, so what's the key, what's the biggest thing that came out of it you've got five but what was the one that you felt was by far and away the most valuable the most important uh well <laughs> I, I, I don't think there was one and that that's the whole point wisdom is multifaceted mm -hmm. uh, what i would say is sitting right at the heart of the wisdom model is is susie's research which i think is certainly worth highlighting yeah, and I, I, I take, uh, I think it's a great question. And Judith, your story about, you know, we go through these cycles in life and we look back and go, that was really wise. And then we reflect on it again, something else happens and we go, actually, that wasn't wise at all. And we go back through that cycle. So for me, Christina, that um, Paul's talking about the my PhD research and it really, I was looking at the sort of what a really um, sort of, uh, for want of a better term, confident, wise leaders, what are they doing differently? How are they sort of interpreting their life experiences, their leadership experiences? And it all came down to this really strong reflection practice, right? So, Judith, your story alludes to that. We ref all reflect all the time. It's a human capacity. Um, but for the first time, my research really started to shine a light on how important it is and that there are specific ways that we can reflect that lend us to becoming wiser. I don't know if we ever become wise, but part of those um, things that I'm really passionate about that stood out for me and stand out for me in the book too is this idea of the ways in which we recognise that we are constantly learning, right? And you both would know that, right? The leaders that we love working with, the people we love being around, there's a lovely humility, there's a lovely piece about, you know, you might be at any level in the organisation, but that recognition that 
everyone has wisdom in different ways. We can learn from people no matter their title, their seniority, their experience. So, so that really strong reflective practice actually sits at the heart of the book. And we call it reflective learning. So it's not just about sort of saying, oh, I, you know, I did a course and I'm done. These leaders are constantly in that reflective learning space all the time. They see every exchange as a learning opportunity. So that for me was really powerful. Yeah, That's brilliant. I think that reflective, um, and I haven't read your book yet because it's not out yet. That's right. Um, (laughs) it, It comes in two parts for me. Part of it is about personally being reflective and looking at your own role and your own place and how you were in that moment, in that decision. And the other is that more community reflection post-project, being able to dissect something without it feeling like it's an attack on a person. It's just actually let's review how we did. Let's review what went well and what didn't. And um, we did another podcast which had a bit of a conversation around this and we're finding that people are a little afraid of that public reflection piece because they're worried about the impacts potentially or the negative perceptions around that. Did any of your research cover off on any of that kind of group-based reflection? Yes, I love the question and and um, I, think, I think we're... Where we try and differentiate it and and, um, it is back to the point about the ways in which people reflect. So it was absolutely, to your point, Christina, it was absolutely that this was done with others. Um, And so there was a really strong um, sort of principle that these leaders had, which was they recognised that they only grew and learnt when the people around them grew and learnt. So that actually made it a safer space to come together with people, to come together with teams, to sort of orient to that space. And I think you're right. I think there's a lot of reflective practice in organisations, particularly the post-review piece, right, where we look back. And, you know, often teams get stuck in the what went wrong and they go down those kind of root cause analysis. And that's not to say that we don't have to at some point understand when things do go wrong, but these leaders were very clear about focusing on what was possible, what was learnt, believing in the potential of the people in the room, believing in the potential of the people around them, so that it was very much oriented to a much more positive growth mindset. And, Paul, I'm sure you've got stuff to say about that as well, particularly in the group coaching space. Do you want to share? Yeah, I think uh, certainly one of the, for me, Susie's research said that really effective, wise leaders don't just reflect more, they reflect differently. Um, and one of the ways in which they reflect differently is that piece around reflecting with others. That that piece around with others uh, is also relevant to some of the other mantras, particularly the one around transcending self. Uh, this is this is where the we draw together the literature from the wisdom space together with the literature from the adult development space, um, and find that uh, wisdom in leadership is not just about skills; it's about taking a different perspective and that perspective is a more collective perspective it's a perspective in which i this is this is not an intellectual conversation this is about the way i actually relate to the world i recognize within myself who i am has been and continues to be co-created through my relationships with others which gives me a perspective on life which is 
it's collective. I, you will hear me talking about the collective. You will hear me thinking about the collective because that's how I think, not because that that's a, that's an interesting intellectual exercise. And that process of transcendence, again, is one that we are more likely to take in relationship with others. And, and that, I don't know if, Susie, that's where you're coming from. But in terms of a practice, in terms of a practice, that's where group coaching, and lots of people talk about group coaching, but I think its significance is often really underestimated because that's the space where I get to make meanings, make meaning in that collective space with others. Do you say- and I think, Christine, oh, sorry, just also that piece, Christina, that you were saying, I think we're not in a space yet where teams are comfortable to do that together is your point because of the history of you know getting stuck in the negative and focusing on what's broken um so i think it's a real you know paul and i are quite passionate about not just you know team coaching is a thing right it's a really powerful thing that's most of our work now but also empowering team leaders to create those reflective spaces themselves with their teams, which speaks to psychological safety and all those lovely things. But it comes through, um, as Paul was saying, that choice of let's view this through a really positive growth, you know, learning lens, and then we can create that foundation to start to reflect together. So it's not common yet, but definitely a lot of teams are out there trying it and moving towards it. Do you think that the work environment is moving toward not having the leader, but more the leaders and yeah. um, and then having those skills about being a wise leader? Because at the end of the day, we, we, we did have this conversation once the other, uh, uh, about a week or so ago about the fact that um, is it really necessary to have hierarchies and have these leaders when everybody is an adult, usually <laughs> when they go into the corporate world and more important to have leadership skills so that people can then um, collaborate yeah. rather than delegate, you know, they're working as part. Of, are you seeing the work environment going more toward the collaboration and the ability to all be leaders rather than that hierarchical on the boss and up. Because when, when I used to recruit people, when I used to do executive search, everybody at a senior level th- thought they were a wise leader. They all thought they were, you know, their interpretation <laughs> and the reality was totally different. So it's kind of, I mean, what are your thoughts there as far as where the future work is going from that point of view? agree with you. I'm sure Paul will have his own view. But, you know, I look at the the work that we're doing with some of the organisations globally and what are they trying to do? They're trying to move away from a command and control, right, definition of leadership, which is all about hierarchy and deferring to title because they recognise that it's not working, uh, particularly with hybrid work and everyone's so much more decentralised. So the challenge is how do you create cultures of leadership at every level and recognise and respect that we need management hierarchy to get stuff done, right, that, you know, the allocation of resources, et cetera, et cetera, is important and we need to respect people that are at, you know, higher levels in the management hierarchy, but it shouldn't change the fact that we can lead from wherever we are. 
And so that's, you know, that I think your point is so important. It sits at the heart of our philosophy in the book as well, which is that our research is really clear that wisdom wasn't the, the sole domain of people that had a title and were senior and lots of experience. You know, we meet lots of young people that are wise souls, right, that have learned through their life experiences to just orient to the world in really wise ways. And so I think a lot of our work is how do we open help organizations open that up and tap into it. Hmm. Paul. Yeah. Um so just first of all, just picking on something Judith said, I mean that the your leaders in your executive search function may have seen themselves as wise. And of course, that's because we all hold different definitions of wisdom. And and so the book is not about trying to win that argument it's about trying to open up the conversation with 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 the piece around you know are we moving towards shared leadership i think there are some organizations where that's happening and there's many organizations where it's not and there's many organizations where there's an absolute tension between um a, a kind of latent desire to move towards shared leadership and and an equally uh, latent desire not to move to shared leadership and I think there's a tension and, and the nature of that tension will look different in different organizations what I would say is I'm not sure it's becoming any easier uh, you again you've got a tension between the, the almost the demand for shared leadership which I think you were talking about which is around the world becoming more complex uh, and more challenging to navigate but at the same time you've got a world in which people are in my experience anyway are just trying to go faster and faster and faster and faster time is at a premium um i've spoken to some leaders some organizations where folks are really interested in 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 what we're talking about here and others will they say look we just haven't got time for that our leaders don't have time for that can you just give us the three skills they need to learn um so that's not gonna work (laughs) well no not 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 in the context of how we're defining wisdom here and, and our own beliefs around why it's important so I think there's a real tension out there and it'll be interesting yeah. to see how it all goes. But of course, like Susie said, what we're doing or, or kind of our mission, if you like, is to tap into that energy where it exists and seek to um, kind of help it, facilitate it. Yeah. My sense is, and just listening to you talk and it's being reinforced by what you're saying, is that the responsibility has has been moving and is continuing to move back onto personal responsibility. So you have to be responsible for your own um, emotional awareness, for your own personal development, for your own spiritual development. And and interestingly, I'm noticing in your language a lot of spiritual type words, and I don't know if that's intentional or whether it's words like transcend, mantra, the collective. Um, I, I don't know whether that's kind of just happened accidentally, but it kind of feels like this the the worlds are colliding, but the responsibility still sits very firmly with the individual to take care of themselves, to grow, to reflect, and to be the person that they need to do and to, to take on the learnings that they need to take on to continue to grow as a leader. It's not just do this course, tick these three boxes, and, you know, you got your certificate mm. and you're a leader. Can, can I respond to that, Suze? Yeah. I mean, I'm... I, I don't personally come from a terribly spiritual place in terms of the the material that I've, I've, I've kind of been engaging with here. And, and, and that's partly because, again, our mission, in, in one of our missions in writing this book was to come up with something that um, lend itself to practical application. And for some folks, that, that spiritual language can be off-putting. Absolutely. Um, it's a big problem, unfortunately. And so when we talk about self-transcendence, um, 
we're talking about the language that comes out of the wisdom space that can be somewhat spiritual, but also um, some of the stuff around adult development theory, which I, I wouldn't say is necessarily spiritual at all. It's actually quite academic and, and, and so on. So we're bringing together the two pieces here. The, the collective piece in the wisdom literature, there's stuff around, you know, I am part of a whole, et cetera, is lovely, but it can come across as very esoteric. And so what we've attempted to do in the book is actually get, make that very practical. So I'm, I love really, that. I love I'm, that. Really, I'm really happy that, because you're not the first person to say it, that a lot of what we're talking about resonates with that kind of spiritual perspective, because absolutely that's a cool perspective but what i said what we're trying to do here is to create something that's really super practical and the, those those two things are not mutually exclusive but in, in some people carry mental models whereby they they are they are a bit different you're so you're so right and it's such a shame because a lot of the spiritual teachings could go a long way in corporate in corporate world but there has been this jarring like it's too woo woo it's not pragmatic and um I'm quite spiritual, but I've had to be very careful about the language that I've used because you come across as flaky or it's not, you know, it's not something that can be applied. But I love the way that you're um, reframing the language so that it is applicable, so that it is pragmatic. Um, it's so needed. Mm, thank you. Mm. Okay. I'm going to throw one out here. <laughs> And let's go to the practical side of things. So I'm in a big business and I'm going in and I'm a, I'm a, um, a new leader and how the things need to be done at the end of the day. And let's say I have a big team and um, what, what, what could I do as a new leader in that team to develop relationships with my team to one, be able to get done what they need to be done, but also come across as the right kind of leader and the wise leader, what are some of the the skills and capabilities that I personally personally need to be able to establish myself in that new organization as the new leader, Susie? One, thank you, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things we talk about that's a theme throughout the book is what we call the three P's. Um, our philosophy, our purpose, and our practice as a leader. So it talks a bit to Christina's point before about, you know, I think all of this starts with a level of awareness that that new leader coming in has to know and be able to articulate, this is the purpose, this is what I'm here to do. This is, you know, this is where we're headed. So to be able to articulate their purpose in a way that others can understand and embrace and then I think that the piece about philosophy, we never talk about our philosophy, right? What's our worldview around who we are as leaders and our intention, as you said, Judith, particularly if it's a new leader coming into an organisation, no matter what level they're at, right? What is their intention around the way that they lead and the way they want to lead with others? So, you know, every mantra in the book helps the the leader actually start to get really tangible around this is my philosophy and I want to share it and then I want to hear from you all right and and to create this sort of foundational dialogue that says um we are a combination of all of those philosophies now again I sounding a bit philosophical but it is about kind of pulling right back from the doing you know, the task stuff, because if we can lay these foundations, the task stuff then happens 
more organically, more naturally, you get the speed that's needed. Um, and I would say the other thing that I would be asked, thinking about for a new leader in an organisation is to, as part of that philosophy, and I do think it's a core message that's in the book, is really uh, putting aside ego, right? That collective orientation is, at, you know, that person that's come into the organisation is only there to lead and grow with and through others. So that real interdependency, I would say setting up discussion forums, team things, um, buddying up each with each other, creating forums for people to come together and recognise that we only do this as a collective. That's actually how leadership gets done, right? And so it is about changing the narrative and really starting from that place of philosophy, purpose, and then the practice stuff comes as a, a foundation of that. That's a really simple answer, Judith. You know it depends on the leader, it. depends on the organisation. <laughs> It can be simple though, right? I mean, it can yeah. be simple. At the end of the day, the leaders got the leader who goes in or the person's going in, they need to be able to communicate. Yeah. And they need to be able to set their vision and be able to get people on board and how they do that. And that's where so many companies and, and issues happen in companies yeah. where they fall short because nobody knows what the hell they're supposed to do, who's doing it, when it's supposed to be done, and they, they don't have any kind of guidance. or mm -hmm. And it's like anything that we do. If you have a good leader who's involving you and who's part of the team and it's helping you, it's going to make a big difference, isn't it? And they're listening and they're learning, right? And so, you know, we talk about, and you would know from your recruitment days when you're, you know, is it the first 90 days that you're there to listen and learn? I don't know that we get 90 days anymore, right? But that idea of if you come in with that really strong learning orientation and that you bring a philosophy, but you're willing for that philosophy to change and grow in relationship with the people around you. The other thing I would say that we hear a lot from clients is that, they don't have the forums to have these conversations. So, you know, how many teams do you know that have their weekly or bi-weekly business, BAU, you know, business as usual sort of meeting and come away feeling demotivated? The real issues haven't been discussed. So it's also about, you know, making sure those forums are in place to have the right kind of dialogue that's going to support their leadership. And, Paul, I know it's very passionate about dialogue. I don't know if you want to pick up that point. Yeah, I pick up on a few points there because I, I think, yeah, the three Ps, what the three Ps is, is a way of being very clear about yourself as a leader. And so that's that's something you can do. And Susie talks a lot about purpose and, and in the philosophy space, grand word. But this is about having a view on the nature of self, of, of, of adult development, the nature of change. And so and so. As I said, some, some organisations want to just focus on the do, do, do. There is... We need to. We also need to be thinking about the how we're actually thinking because how we think often dictates actually how we behave. The um, Susie talked about ego that sits as part of our third mantra and self transcend because there's a technique called ego decentering you can use. It's a very practical exercise. Um, the fifth mantra. Which is sorry, can you just describe it? Sorry to interrupt, but it's sort of you throw yeah. it out there. It's really simple because the e decentering. Yeah, ego decentering is a technique. It's a reflective technique where you're reflecting on what I've been doing here, but you're writing about yourself in the third person. So it's giving yourself that distance from self, uh, distance to be able to see yourself in in um, relation to others. Um, Judith, you talked about communication. That's the fifth mantra: do dialogue. And 
by dialogue, we don't just mean, hey, you've got to communicate well. There's 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 a whole lot of stuff in there around specific how how we actually what does dialogue look like versus other ways of communication and if we're going to seek to influence and 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 how we go about influencing change is part of the fourth mantra then we have to be good at dialogue and dialogue is impossible to do perfectly because it requires complete self-awareness in order to be able to really hear what somebody else is trying to say and to be able to speak without judgment so there's an awful lot um, sitting in there and then everything we just talked about. Um, and and as I said, the book itself, Ego Decentry is just an example. It's, we didn't invent it, by the way. But there's there's all sorts of other techniques, very specific techniques and things that the lead, the new leader can do to, to, um, to cultivate that collective wisdom in his or her team. When is that harder now with people working from home and not being in a, an environment where they're collaborating every day is that harder for the the leader to to get that kind of um collaboration what are you finding the differences well it's it's certainly different and probably the main difference or or one one useful area to focus on in all of this is when people are all sitting face to face and they're working in together in a room there's all sorts of things that are happening that are not planned for in terms of relationship building and trust building they're not planned for. And so I think one of, I'm not going to try and simplify the whole issue around hybrid working, but one of the things we can usefully do is really just pay attention to some of those things that happen in a face-to-face environment and take them to account, into account in being very purposeful around how we lead our teams in a more dispersed environment. I don't know what you'd say, Suze. I'm sure I know you've got views on hybrid. I, I love the question because I think it's emerging, right, Judith? I think we're learning as we go. But if I look at the work that we're doing with teams, which has been virtual for the last couple of years, and that sort of loss of like, oh, I wish we could get in a room and be together, that's definitely true. There is that rapport building at the beginning that I think we we miss when you're not, you know, sort of getting to to do the in-person stuff. But the flip side I have found personally in my practice is that the really good teams are using see, see a virtual space like this is 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 naturally inclusive we all just have one box we all have an opportunity to speak and so some of the feedback is that teams are more inclusive in their communication because they're not in a room together sort of you know unconsciously deferring to the most senior person in the room and taking that a step further I also think a bit like what you and Christina are doing with this podcast so we have an opportunity to have really candid conversations so the idea that um, you know leaders now don't you know all they talk about is someone's professional life that's gone right leaders are you know at every level are having to look after each other's well-being their mental health what's happening in the home all of those things are coming into leadership conversation, which means that we're all having to be a lot more real. So I actually think, it, yes, it's become a lot more complex because we're hybrid, but it's also meant that beautiful merging of we get to deal with people's whole selves. Or this is the second mantra in the book as we talk about their multiple selves. So one of the things that we're quite passionate about that really landed in London uh, in particular, uh, just because that's where we're just back from, was that we are not, you know, we have all these tools that say, sort of say you must be your one authentic leadership self. 
And um, there's just as much, as much literature to say we are multiple selves. We are sisters, mothers, daughters, friends, managers, leaders. And so our book really also helps people start to identify the ways in which different selves of our, that we need to embrace them, get to know them, even that self-critical self that we're told to just push away and ignore that feedback is actually really helpful. Absolutely. Right? I've done a bit of work in the voice dialogue space and voice dialogue is phenomenal in terms of embracing those selves of us that we both love and that we've basically sent off to some island and we don't want to know those selves, those disowned parts of ourselves. It's brilliant having that dialogue. Exactly right. And so we brought it into, because that's about wisdom, right, Christina, is to be able to say rather than ignore that part of ourselves, let's bring her in. Let's get to know that three-year-old or let's get to know that, you know, insecure, whatever that self is. And, you know, one of the lovely principles and Paul's done a lot of research in the space around multiplicity is that every one of the selves that we have are useful. They're purposeful. It's not something that we need to kind of worry about. It's something that we need to get to know and sort of proactively use. Absolutely. I look at it as a board of advice. You know, we all have boards in business, but who's our personal board of advice and who are we listening to? Are we listening to the insecure person part of ourselves or are we listening to the brave part of ourselves? I mean, that's just one example, but who do you want on your personal board of advice? Yeah. And we are complex. We're complex. And when we get into some of the, you know, we want people to, you know, lead and be confident and what have you. And so much of that is not about just oneself. It's about saying, which of yourselves do you want to bring to this meeting today in this setting with these people that is going to get you to the outcomes that you're looking for? Much more complex than we've talked about before. That's a core part of the wise leader is embracing that multiplicity and working with it. I love that we're finally having this these this approach to to leadership. If I look back ten years ago, we couldn't have these conversations. We couldn't. Have Have you had to um, allow for? Because I know you guys are going all over the world and and speaking to people. But have you have you seen the differences? Like, are there differences that you have to look at in one region compared to another, or? are the basics the basics? Well, my view, again, I can see Paul thinking through that, so I'll I'll hand to Paul in a second. My view is honestly, Judith, that it transcends cultural differences. This is humanity. This is finally about recognising the natural, beautiful complexity that every human being is. There's definitely, obviously, different ways of sharing that and working with different cultures who some are more willing to embrace and some aren't. And there's also research to show that there are, there's a percentage, and Paul, I'm sure you'll correct me, um, uh, you know, of the population that don't identify multiple selves. You know, they just see one true self and that's okay too. But it's a small percentage. So, so again, we're sort of working with um, a concept that seems to really land for people, particularly in times of hybrid work, when they're having to put the mum hat on and take it off, you know, put the friend hat on, you know, all of those things. And we're sort of normalising it. Paul, what would you add to that? Well, in the multiplicity space, as you say, there's there's a small proportion of people who only identify with oneself, and that's fine. I mean, that that that's 
that's fine that that doesn't um negate any of the the rest of the uh the model around wisdom it's it it's um just the conversation will will help those folks really spend spend time thinking about themselves in a different way i think more broadly with the 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 five mantras and the wisdom model as a whole um i'd personally and we've we've done the launch in the uk we've, we've already spoke to folks in the us we've spoken to folks in asia and india is the the fundamental message I, I i think is resonating with everybody who we've spoken to it's just resonating with different people in different ways so just building what christina was talking about before about a very spiritual perspective um very interesting talking to folks who have a very spiritual perspective um will will kind of play back to us what they're hearing through their own lens and it's really interesting but it's not it's not fundamentally different it's it's just a, a different kind of way of thinking about the same thing i think yeah, I think many roads lead to Rome, don't they? And it's mm. sometimes we just need to language it in a way that connects with people where they're ready to hear what's being communicated. Mm. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's, I love that. And we we make a point, no matter what audience we're talking to, which is what Paul said earlier, you know, we don't, we don't claim for this to be the only pathway. What we're hoping to do, particularly in where leadership dialogue is important in organisations, is provide some different perspectives, provide a way to open up team dialogue to the complexity that sits within all of us and create space for that. I think that's what we get really excited about, no matter where they are on the planet. Yeah, we talk so much about different perspectives and I think there's still that learning around being able to listen to those other perspectives and especially if the feedback isn't isn't so positive to be okay with that. Yeah. Um, to process that and reflect on that in a in a positive way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think really when you think about it, the times that we're in right now has got to be one of the most complicated and difficult times yeah. that we've ever seen. Yeah. And also the fact that um, people's way of looking at things and how they're feeling is is all over the place. So it's kind of like we're hearing more about mental health. We're hearing more about, you know, negative issues. So, I mean, hopefully coming out of this this cycle, hopefully there's more positive things that will happen. But it's about having a framework or a structure or something. I think people um, need that support and they need to know, well, how do I do that? Because we, we ha- we, I mean, we often forget that there's young ones coming up that that this is their first intro into a corporate or work environment. And so, you know, the older ones knew all these other different cycles and they might be harder to turn because, you know, I've done it all this way. This is the way I've always done it. But then the younger ones don't know what they don't know as well. Yeah. So it, it is, um, I'm really glad I don't have my executive search firm anymore. <laughs> just be too darn hard (laughs) but it is I really feel for companies as well as employees navigating through all this and so having something like you know the wise leader what you guys have done I mean is so important because people need this information to be able to absorb it to be able to look at I, I they might not utilize everything but if they utilize some of it that works for them then it's one step forward isn't it Well, we could talk forever on this subject um, and it's been so fantastic having you guys join us. Before we kind of 
finish up. Be good to just go around, go around the, the the circle and just get everybody's takeout in terms of. I already know what your takeout's going to be. It's all about your fantastic book, but um, we'd love to hear it anyway. So, what are the key takeouts around what it takes to be a wise leader in this time? Susie, you go first. Oh, I was actually hoping Paul would go first. Okay, That's Paul, you go, you go first, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind who goes first. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, again, I'm probably going to not answer the way you want me to answer but if I think about the five mantras there's a piece around the reflective piece that's so important knowing how to reflect not just reflection is good there's a there's a cells awareness piece and a whole richer perspective on self-awareness um, another focal point is the self-transcend piece this is where the message is it's just not about skills and reading reading a book and putting it into practice there's a, it's about who we are being and as I said, the book offers some perspectives on how to accelerate that process for ourselves. It's about how do we think about change? Uh, there's lots of different ways of thinking about change. And in, in the book, we talk about the meta perspective. And then it's about what do you see a wise leader doing? You see them engaging. You see them able to engage in dialogue and, and just having very different kinds of conversations with people. Mm, beautiful. Susie. And I would add to that when I sort of try and distill it down and it's you know, it's difficult to distill. I think we're in a space of recognising, even though we're dispersed and ironically we're working from home, so many of us, our interconnectedness is more important than ever. So for me the wisdom piece sits in that space where we say when I'm starting to feel that very sort of individualistic, isolated, pressured, um, you know, stress, to recognise that that interdependency is all around us and our work is to really find those engagements, find those boards, find those people around and engage in dialogue with them um, because we can't do it on our own and the wisdom comes from that very collective orientation. Mm, love that, love that. Judith? Yeah, I think when I look at the the people over the years who I've always thought are wise leaders or or you know have risen above basically the rest that I've seen, they've always been great communicators, compassionate, understanding. Um, they're passionate about what they do, but they're also able to get other people um, together and and collaborate with them. So, and I think they have confidence without the ego. I, I really want to know more about the ego thing that you were talking about before. I'm going to have to, re I can't wait to read that section of the book because that sounds like a really good exercise. But yeah, I think, I think at the end of the day, uh, a wise leader needs to be reflective, but not only reflective, take what happened and learn from it mm -hmm. and move forward with it, not just go, okay, we shouldn't have done that and then go off and do the same thing again. <laughs> basically be reflective and learn from learn from mistakes yeah so true know thyself oh I've loved this conversation today it's been such a delight having you Susie and Paul join us today um thank you thank you thank you so much thank you <laughs> for more information about every step and our guests head to everysteppodcast.com to be notified of new podcasts, please subscribe via your favourite listening platform. And of course, follow us on social media and direct message us to share your ideas about guests or topics.